Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. When Clark uh, introduced that song to me last year, it became uh, kind of a song on repeat, and I'm so grateful uh, that the message of Christmas is not get it all together and somehow work and earn and strive your way to God. But the message of Christmas is this, that uh, you are broken and in need of a Savior. The Scripture uh, says this, when uh, Jesus was uh, announced, the shepherd says, for unto you in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you. Aren't you glad this morning that Uh, We can come through the blood of Christ to the very throne room of heaven that we can worship uh, together this morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. So grateful uh, to be here with you this morning, to be gathered uh, together. If you are a guest with us this morning, we'd love for you to take just a moment uh, and take one of the connect cards that you'll find in a a seat back near you and just fill that out and uh, drop that off at our guest services table as you leave. You'll see a a gift has been prepared for you there and we'd just love to uh, connect with you when you are ready to connect with us. Uh, This uh, song and just kind of walking in to today, uh, I'm reminded that we have so many great things planned uh, this Christmas season. You'll be, uh, we'll be worshiping together every Sunday morning. We're in a series called All Things New, and we're going to be moving uh, toward the last uh, Sunday, really, or first Sunday of next year. Uh, we're going to finish this year journey through the scriptures, and we're going to be uh, in Revelation 21 and 22, and we're going to see and look forward with anticipation to that day that God will make all things new. Uh, during the Christmas season, you're going to have have several opportunities to worship our great God together on December 23rd. Uh, we'll be having a community Christmas Eve Eve service at the Smoky Mountain Center for the Performing Arts. It'll be a time that we'll gather with other churches and worship to our great God. Then on December 24th on Christmas Eve, uh, we'll gather right here in Crossover for a Christmas Eve candlelight uh, communion service. And then on Sunday morning, Christmas Day, uh, we'll gather in our traditional sanctuary and we'll worship uh, God together in one service there at 10 a.m. And so we encourage you uh, to be as part of, of as many of those as you can. All those will be uh, just unique services. And so we encourage you to be uh, part of those as you are able this Christmas season. Uh, again, we are walking through a series called All Things New. And Pastor Chris did an amazing job kicking that off uh, last week uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. And today we're going to continue kind of in that thought. He, he left us with this challenge just to walk. Well, now what does it look like to walk? What does it look like to walk in newness of life? What does it look like uh, to walk in God's ways? And today we're going to be in uh, the book of Philippians. If you want to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to look at one of the most important passages that we could lean into as we enter this time of year. Uh, One of the the greatest passages, I believe, in all the Scripture uh, that points to so much of who Jesus is and who we are uh, in Christ. And so I want to invite you to stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God. You'll see uh, the verses on the screen uh, as well. But if you'll stand, we'll begin in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and we'll go all the way to verse 11. Uh, The scripture says this, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, 
but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful. God, as we read these verses... Lord, the extent of your grace to us, God, the, the, the awe that we should have, that the very God who spoke this world into existence, the God who uh, the scripture would tell us has created all things and whom, for whom all things were created, that he took on flesh and that he stepped out from the glories of heaven and was born into the brokenness of this world to make a way for broken and sinful man to be able to come so that the, the song, so that the words that we sang, oh, come all ye unfaithful, would be so true. God, that you would make a way for unfaithful, broken sinners like me, Lord, to be a part of the family of God. Lord, we are overwhelmed by your grace and your glory. And we pray, God, this morning, God, that you would take your word, God, that you would uh, use it, God, in a way uh, that would accomplish everything you sent, you sent it forth to do this morning, God, and that you would work in our lives in a way that would cause us to live different, to be people that would embrace the mind of Christ, Lord, and that would live our lives on mission for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated uh, this morning. Uh, I'm going to share today a message called The Master's Mindset. The Master's Mindset. Now, we would recognize this time of year, it's pretty easy for us to embrace the culture's mindset. It's pretty easy uh, for us to get caught up in all kinds of things. And in reality, even though this is the Christmas season, a lot of times it's pretty hard to find Jesus. When you look around, you see all kinds of things in stores, all kinds of things uh, that are being celebrated. And a lot of those things don't look anything like the incarnation and and this this wonderful picture of Christmas that we read about today. Now, Now, the reason that it's easy for us to get caught up in all that is because by nature, we're selfish people. Now, some of you are saying, hey, I I don't know. I'm not selfish. I mean, Christmas is about giving. And a matter of fact, I'm like one of the most giving people you know. I've got gifts for so many people already. In Black Friday, like I was in the stores, I was getting those things. And you say, you know what? I'm not selfish, but I did like rush really hard to get in front of all those other people that were trying to get that same thing for $4 left. Right, but I was doing it for a good cause, so don't worry about it. Right, and so that's kind of our mindset sometimes we can get in those kind of ways. Now, you say, you know what, I'm not selfish. I want to invite you to think about uh, how you look at a picture. Now, one of the things that my family loves to do around Christmas is we take Christmas photos, right? That's what, that's what my wife likes to do, so that's what I like to do. That's, that's, how, that's how it rolls, right? So, so we take Christmas photos, and one of the things we like to do, uh, as a matter of fact, tonight is the night that we are going to dress up in our jammies, and we're going to go out on the town, right? Not really out on the town, but Cartuga J. Baptist is having a live nativity drive-thru. If you've never been part of that or if you have been part of that, absolutely amazing what they pull off and what they do. I encourage you uh, to go out tonight or I think it's next Friday and Saturday they're doing it again. 
but just incredible, like from six to nine. And just to lean into the, to the true meaning of Christmas, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture uh, that they do there. And tonight, we're going to put on our jammies and we're going to the live nativity. We're going to be driving through there with some hot cocoa and some things that we do every single year. Now, we take some of those pictures. Now, here's a picture of us in our jammies if you want to get a picture of what this might look like. Now, this is a few years back. And if you guys are wondering out there, yes, those are onesie jammies. And and if you've never owned a set of onesie jammies, you will understand why those kids are smiling in the pictures with the onesies when you put those on because they are amazing, right? It's just a reality. Now, now something about pictures. Now, my family all looked at that picture, and they immediately in this moment decided whether that picture was good or not the same way all of us do. When we look at a group photo, the way that we decide whether that picture is good or not is we look at our Yeah, we look at ourselves immediately, and we look at that. Now, if you're a good husband, your responsibility at every moment of every picture is to smile and make sure your eyes are open, because it really doesn't matter what you look like in that picture anyway, but you don't want to be the one, right, when she has the perfect picture, and you have messed it. Some of you guys have blown it that way. When we were... When we were a little younger. Well, we were. Our family was a little younger. And when Grant was a little bit younger, he had this tendency to put his tongue out at the wrong time. Now, we embrace it, and we just put his picture on the wall. We got a picture of him uh, from a picture that, and, and this is him. Like, like every picture, right, till he almost died one time. And then he, he, he smiles now. He smiles now. He didn't, he didn't really almost die, but, but, but I mean, maybe. And so... We don't want to be that person, right? Because when we look at those pictures, right, we're looking at ourselves. We want to make sure it is the perfect picture, right? Now, we're in a selfie generation. I, I've read uh, some interesting statistics that, uh, that, you know, this was an August 25th study that millennials, so if you're a millennial in here, that you will spend 38 hours taking selfies this year. That's pretty impressive, right? Because anyway, it's not just the time you take the picture, but you've got to get the scene right. You've got to fix your hair. Some of y'all have to fix your hair and... Some of, you, some of us don't. But here's the thing. Right? We can tell that we're, we're selfish people. It's just kind of how we're, how we're wired. But here's this thing. There's a couple things that help us not to lean into this whole thing called selfishness. There's a few things that will help us really quickly this morning. We saw one of those, right? Having children, right? When you have babies, all of a sudden, you, you, you don't, you're not as selfish anymore. You can't be, right? Because them little boogers come in here selfish, right? They need some stuff, and they will let you know. Nobody ever got woke up like in the middle of the night, kids crying. You walk in there, they're like, hey, mommy, I just thought you might need something. I went, no, 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 no. They need some stuff, right? But here's the thing. That doesn't always fix us in the right direction because instead of being, being selfish, we can become kid-focused, right? Instead of being focused on the right things, we can be so kid-focused that we miss some of the main things, right? We can have those kind of things. Another thing that, that helps us in an incredible way is going on a mission trip, right? And we're going to commission a group that's going to Honduras. And when you get out of your comfort zone, when you get out of your element and you get in places uh, where people are experiencing poverty and all kinds of things, right, it takes this mindset of selfishness off of us. But here's the thing. Even on a mission trip, we can find ourselves somehow even making it about us, right? We can find ourselves thinking about those kind of things. But there's one thing that works every time. And there's one thing that, that, that battles every bit of self-centeredness that is in our life. See, the one thing that, that, that can fix everything, the greatest way, right, that we are not self-centered is when we become cross-centered, when we gaze on the beauty and the majesty of Jesus and we fix our eyes on the cross. Our selfishness is lost in the sight of the Savior. And that's what we see in this passage, right? The 
Apostle Paul is going to give uh, this, this call, right, and this command for this church at Philippi to lose themselves in the glory and the majesty of Christ, right? And, and my hope is that this morning that that same thing would happen in us, that we might look and behold his glory and his majesty. And in light of that, we might lose ourselves in sight of the Savior and we might live for his glory. And Paul says, hey, here's the mindset that I want you to have. Here's the mindset that you need. Look in verse 1. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, and we got to go quick. Y'all got to listen fast today. If there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship in the Spirit, if any affection and compassion. Now, when he says if, he's not saying like, if there's any of that, this is a, this is a way that he's using. This is a tool that he's using. And it's more like saying this, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there's fellowship of the Spirit, because of all those things, Paul says here, you can make my joy complete. Now, if you were to rewind back in chapter 1 and you were to look, Paul would say, hey, I'm writing from the midst of a prison cell and the gospel is going forward. And he says, I'm experiencing joy in these moments because even in my suffering, even in my imprisonment, it's causing other people like to have bolder proclamations of the gospel. And he said, because of that, I'm experiencing joy. And then he says, like, I'm experiencing that kind of joy, but you as a church, right, y'all can do something that will make my joy even greater. Y'all can have the hot chocolate on top of the pajamas and all the things that's going to make everything happy. He says, you can make my joy complete. He said, this is the cherry on top. And here's how you can do it. He says, you make my joy complete by being of the same mind, right? Verse two, he says, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and in intent on one purpose. Now, here's something we see in here, that the, the unity, that this humble unity that is experienced in the body of Christ, experienced in God's people, that it brings a pastor joy, right? It's a mark of maturity in the life of a church, right? When we have this humble unity that we're united in love. Now, if y'all, if y'all have a brother or sister, raise your hand. Now hit them. No, don't, don't, don't. I know y'all want to, y'all. Y'all have done it before, right? And, and here's the thing. Like, if y'all have siblings, y'all fight, right? Sometimes y'all have fought when you're growing up. I, I remember when, when my kids were kind of younger and you're traveling on a long trip. Like, they're in the back seat. And it don't matter how good things are going. Somehow, you can end up in a little squabble, right? Somehow, you can do that. And the Lord, in his grace and mercy to children, make the minivan seats too far to reach when you're driving down the road because you're telling them, knock it off. Like, you got to quit fighting, right? This is how uh, it happens so many times, right? But here's the thing. When we, when we in, engage in this and we see our kids being united in, in joy and in love and being good, all those kind of things, it brings a father joy. And when his church, when the people of God are united in joy, I want you to understand it pleases the father. And we don't find unity simply by preaching on unity. We find unity by gazing at the cross of Christ. We find unity by being uh, by being adoring right, and seeing Jesus for who he is. And the more we look at him and the more we look at the cross and the more we get our eyes off of ourselves, the more unity that we will experience. And Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. That's the primary command in this passage. The, the rest of the, the, the pieces uh, through verse four are these secondary participles, right? There are ways that this happens, right? They're, they elaborate on this one command to be like-minded. So he says, hey, be like-minded and here's how you do it. Verse three, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. 
Then he gives another negative. Do not look out for your own personal interests. Don't, don't merely just look out for your own things, but also for the interest of others. Now, now, here's this picture, right? He gives a negative and then a positive. And those two negatives at the beginning, we never look more like Satan than when we're acting like that. Right? Selfish. And when we're thinking, hey, I have this vain conceit and this thing that I'm elevated and I should be important and life is all about me instead of all about God. These are the ways that we see. And we may never look more like Jesus when we're looking at others and saying there's, these others are more important than ourselves. So here's this mindset that we're to adopt. Here's this thing that we're to do. It. And here's how he says we're to do it. Look at verse 5. And here's the command that he gives. He said, listen, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And when we think about the master's mindset, we're going to see in this passage that God commands his church. This isn't like optional. This isn't one of those things that says, hey, if you feel like it, then try to act this way. And some of us might read this and say, hey, I can't, I can't make it. Like, I, like live like Jesus, operate like this, have the mindset of Christ. But listen, God commands his church to have the master's mindset. These first few verses that we read, he's commanded them to walk in humble unity. And he says, here's the example of Christ that allows this to take place. Here, here's what it looks like to walk in this. And through the example of Christ, you're going to see what it looks like. And through the spirit of God who lives in you, you're going to see that it's possible. God commands his church to have the master's mindset. Now this attitude, uh, he says, let's have this attitude uh, in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. The word attitude is from neo in the Greek, and it's an interesting word. It's this picture of, of thinking a certain way or having a certain mindset. This is what the apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, it's the master's mindset that he desires the church to have. Now, we think of attitude, and there's a lot of stuff comes to our mind. Like, I can remember when my parents sometimes, like, I, I might come home from school, and maybe I was a little bit spunky that day, you know, and they'd say, I don't much like that attitude, right? And, and maybe sometimes they'd figure out it was because I was around somebody else, and they'd say, I don't know if it's good for you to be around little Johnny, because little Johnny, when you're around little Johnny, you act a little bit like little Johnny, and I don't like it when you act like little Johnny, right? It's that attitude that sometimes we can have. Maybe we hang out with certain people and we act like them. Now, perhaps uh, we might think, hey, you know what? We'll just take that to this passage and we'll say, we'll spend time with Jesus and his word. And as a result of spending time with Jesus and his word, it's going to rub off on us and we're going to be more like Jesus. And that's a very true statement. That's one of the reasons that we say, hey, we live life out of an overflow of time along with the Father. Every day, we want to spend time with Jesus. We want to spend time with the Father and we want to live our lives out of an overflow of that, right? So we could see that being a reality. But the language in here, I believe it goes even deeper than this. Paul writes, have this attitude in yourselves, right? Now, this could be translated. Uh, we could look at it and say this means have this attitude among yourselves as the church in the way that you interact with one another, in the way that you engage with one another. But it could also, right, and the way that I love to think about it is that this attitude that we see that it is in followers of Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit, that it is as we, as the, as the, as the, the life of Christ, right, is lived through us. We like to say that the life of a Jesus follower is not simply us living for Jesus, but it's Jesus living his life in and through us. And could it be, could it be that when we push back on this and we say, I can't live like this, could it be when we say, I know that Jesus lived this way, but I can't live this way, could it be that the mind of Christ is supernaturally produced in the life of his followers as they walk in the spirit, as they abide in Christ, as they bear fruit because of that. Now, there's some ways we see in this passage that this looks. So what does it look like to have the master's mindset? What do we see in this passage? The first thing 
that we're going to see is that it's expressed in joyful selflessness, right? God commands his people to have the master's mindset in joyful selflessness. Look at verse 6. It says, "Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, Jesus existed, Scripture says, in the form of God. Now, some of you heard that and said, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. What, do you, what do you mean in the form of God? Now, now, understand, he's not saying that Jesus simply appeared uh, as God. He is saying that Jesus, in his humanity, that, that he continues being in the very nature and essence God. He, and, and the Scripture says how he does this, right? In verse 7, he took on human flesh, right? The Scripture says he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of of men. Now, in this passage, and when we think about Christmas, we see one of the essential doctrines of the Christian faith, and that is of Jesus and his incarnation. Jesus didn't allow his deity to stop him from expressing humanity. I think it was Tony Evans that said it was like pouring water into a container, that Jesus poured the entirety of his deity into the container of his humanity, resulting in him being fully God and fully man. Now, smart theologians, they would use a term called the hypostatic union, and it's this picture of these two two natures being in one person, unmixed forever. These two natures being in Christ, the incarnation. And and Paul goes on and he says, he did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped. Now this is a a harpagmos in the Greece. Harpagmos in the Greece. Greek is this picture of grasping something and it's used in a way that that gives us this picture of holding on to something tightly. Now it can be holding on to something tightly that doesn't belong to us. We can use it in that kind of sense, but in the sense that it's used here, in the sense that it's used in other places, Places, it is this picture of holding on to something that rightfully belongs to us, something that someone has rightful claim to. And what we see in this passage is that Jesus did not hold tight to his position. He didn't hold tight uh, to this in a way that he would use it for his advantage or to prevent his suffering, but that he would, in obedience to the Father, selflessly pour himself out, that he would selflessly suffer for the sins of the world. Now, to think that Jesus would suffer and face the punishment and condemnation that I deserve, right? That he would face those kind of things and that he would do it with joy. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, that he endured the cross, despising the shame, right? We see this kind of picture, right? Jesus, he didn't hold tight to this position to prevent his suffering, but he embraced it and emptied himself, still being deity all the time. Colossians 1 would say that it is in him that the Father was pleased to see the fullness of deity dwell, right? Hebrews uh, would tell us that, that he is, is the exact representation, right? The exact imprint of his nature, that he is the, the radiance of the glory of God. And, and what Paul is wanting us to see in this passage, we could spend hours talking about uh, the Christology in this passage, but what Paul, I believe, is wanting us to see is that it is this humble attitude of Christ that God desires to see in me. It is this humble attitude of Christ that God desires to see in you. And it is this humble attitude of Christ that God desires to see in all of us. See, as we display the master's mindset in humble this, this selflessness in our lives, it naturally leads us to serve with joy. God commands his people to have the master's mindset in joyful selflessness, but he also commands them to have the master's mindset in joyful service. Look at verse 7. In, in continuing, we see Jesus took the form of 
the bondservant. Now, God, Paul uses this word uh, form, uh, and he uses it in contrast with taking the existing in the form of God. And now he says, and he highlights this saying, the form uh, of a bondservant. And now we think about that word, and it's not a word that we use a lot, like probably nobody used that word this week in your everyday conversation. It's probably not that kind of thing. Now, most of our translations will have servant or bondservant, but the, the, the reality of when we look at the Greek is this word would be much better translated as slave. It's a word doulos that uh, literally uh, is translated uh, as slave. It's this picture of, uh, of a person who is legally owned by someone else and whose, whose entire outcome, whose entire livelihood, whose entire purpose is determined by their master. Now, Jesus in his, his obedience to the Father, right, he, to fulfill the predetermined plan of God, he emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant, took on the form of a slave. And the scripture said he was made in the likeness of men. When we think about this humble unity, this humble submission, this picture that God calls us to, it is seen beautifully in Jesus Christ. And when we celebrate Christmas, when we look at these trees, when we look at all the things that are in our culture, what we should see is the humble obedience of Jesus, the incarnation of Christ, his humble submission and obedience, right? To think that the God who created all things. Scripture says there wasn't anything that came into being apart from him. That by him and for him, all things were created. That the one from whom all things were created, that he stepped out from the glories of heaven, that he was made in the likeness of men, born as a baby, laid in a manger that first Christmas morning, and his life was a life of service, self-sacrifice, service. John 1 reminds us of his eternality, right? We read the Christmas story in John, and he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the same was in the beginning, right? He, before eternity passed, was. Jesus has always existed. And in a powerful moment, right, we see the incarnation of Christ. And throughout his ministry, Jesus modeled this servanthood. Jesus modeled what it looked like to wash his disciples' feet. It was a powerful moment in Matthew's gospel in chapter number 20. we see that the, the mother uh, of the sons of Zebedee approached Jesus. And, and like all moms, like all the moms, every old crow thinks hers is white as snow. I've heard that said, right? Like, like all moms, right? They, they, their kids are the best. Their kids deserve the best. Their kids, they want the best for them. And she approaches Jesus, and she's like, Jesus, in your kingdom. <laughs> she's like, you remember my voice? Okay. And when, you, when, it, when it's all in... I want one of them to be on your right and one of them to be on your left. Like we want them to be in places of authority. We want them to be in those kind of places. Now, the, now, now, now the sons of Zebedee, they're probably like, hey, um, not in front of the other disciples, mom. Couldn't you wait? Like anything but this, right? They're probably having that kind of moment. But Jesus says this. He says, hey, it's different in my kingdom. And he said it's different. You know, in the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And they're great men. They exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, this is the joyful service that we see in Christ. And it is that kind of joyful service, that kind of submission to Christ, that kind of serving one another. It's that kind of service that bonds the hearts of Christ followers together. It is that kind of service that allows law 
lost people to experience the love of God. It, it is that kind of service. When we serve people selflessly, looking for nothing in return, and we do it simply because Jesus has served us. We are serving the least of these. We are serving when we, when we, we are serving them. We are serving him. We share his love. We share the gospel. We share these things, right? And those that trust Jesus, they become part of a community. And if you're part of the family of God, welcome to a community where we display the humble unity that's only found in Christ. In John 17, Jesus' prayer for his disciples and for us was that we may be one, that, that we might experience that unity. And when we experience that unity, that, that, that the world might know that God had sent his son. That's the beauty of what it looks like when the church embraces the mindset of Christ and serves in that way. But here's the problem. Like those disciples, and, and many times we want our reward, and we want it in position and power. We want it in those kind of things. But as followers of Christ, we recognize that our reward is not in those things, right? As we serve others, we serve Jesus. Our reward is not in this life. But when we live lives of joyful service, when we live lives of sacrifice, it is pleasing to our Father. And here's the way he's wired us. The thing that's beautiful in all that is when we do that, we experience joy that is unspeakable. There's a psychologist, his name's Bernard Rimland, and he uh, works in child behavior research. And uh, he published this simple test, and he had his students do something. It was very interesting. He, he told them to make a list of 10 people that you know the best. And you can try this later. Make a list of 10 people that you know the best and write uh, beside their name either H for happy or N for unhappy, right? Not happy. H for happy, N for not happy. And then go down the list again. And this time, put an S beside those for selfish and, an, and a U beside those who are unselfish. And once you've done that, just look at all the categories. And something amazing happened in that. Those uh, who were unhappy, guess what? They were selfish. Their minds are all about them. Those that were happy, they were unselfish people. And, and what we see is that the master's mindset, it produces humble unity and it produces great joy. If we want to experience joy, it is when we walk in God's way. And so here we are, right? Followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to walk in obedience to him. The final thing today, right? God commands his people to have the master's mindset in joyful obedience. Paul continues and he paints this picture. Look in verse 8. He says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read it uh, just this past week, right? We were reminded that Jesus had to be made like us so that he could redeem us as our merciful and faithful high priest. See, he became like us so we could become like him. And this beautiful picture, right, that we see so beautifully expressed at Christmas, it is something that teaches us so much about the love of our God. Gordon Fee shares this truth so well, and you'll see this quote on the screen, but he says this, here is the very heart of Pauline theology. Both his understanding of God's being and his understanding of what God is doing in our fallen world, here is where the one who is equal with God has most fully, most fully revealed the truth about God, that God is love and that his love expresses itself in self-sacrifice, cruel, humiliating death on a cross for the sake of those he loves. What a Savior. 
Jesus is obedient to death for the sake of those that he loves in obedience to the Father, right? And Jesus loved the Father so much that in his desire was to walk in obedience, in complete obedience to the Father's will, and that should be our desire as well. Many of us, we've studied the five love languages. We've looked at that. And, I mean, I celebrated 25 years with my bride this week. And, and you know, just thinking about those things, like I want to know what, what makes her tick. I want to know her love language. And for her, it's quality time. It's time me putting up my phone. It's time me spending, just looking face-to-face, spending time with one another. That's what she needs, right? And in those love languages, there's all kinds of things. There's acts of service. There's, uh, uh, there's all these different ones, right, that we can look at. There's gifts. There's quality time. But what we understand from the scriptures is that our father's love language, God's love language is obedience. God's love language is when his people walk in his will. And we demonstrate our love for God by walking in obedience. And he gives us this example of humble obedience. And then he says, hey, listen, I expect you to walk in obedience by having the mind of Christ. Now, there are times it's difficult. We recognize that. I'm closing this morning, but there are times where walking in obedience is so hard, right? We, we think about these moments where the commands of Christ for us to love our enemies, these commands that we would do good to those who despitefully use us, where uh, with this upside-down kingdom, where the, the least are the greatest, where those who are great are servants, this countercultural selflessness, right? That's what we're called to be. If you're married here, if you're, if you're a man in this room and you're married, you're, you're called to love your wife sacrificially like Christ loved the church. And it's this countercultural picture where, where you're in this place of authority as the head of your home. And instead of using that place of authority uh, for selfish reasons and to, to, to gain and to use that to your advantage, that you humble yourself and that you serve your wife, that you serve your spouse. What would it look like, right? Where, where marriage is, we're being obedient to Christ with countercultural selflessness where a husband and a wife are serving one another in that kind of way, where, where places of work would be places where we would see Jesus on display as we serve one another. So being obedient to Christ, walking in humility, it will not go unnoticed in this crazy world we live in. And as Jesus emptied himself, we are to deny ourselves to take up our cross daily in service to one another. And the greatest way, the greatest way to not be self-centered is to be cross-centered. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we fix our eyes on the cross, selfishness is lost in the sight of the Savior.